Our text today is Matthew 27, Luke 23, and John 18 as we stretch out over the Gospels that we might find the whole story of what happened. We're looking at things in the last week of Jesus' life, in the last few hours actually now, uh, before he died on that cross. And uh, he did wonderful things for us. It is the heart of what we believe. This is who we are. If we are people who believe in him, this is who we are. And it just has a powerful feeling when we go over it that in the history of the world there's never been anybody, anything that comes close to the story that we're looking at as the death of Christ and his resurrection. He stands alone as someone who did that horrible thing that he had to do, but turned it into something quite wonderful for you and me. So our text will be Matthew 27, Luke 23, and John 18, as we go back and forth between those texts, try to explain what happened. I had a dear friend of mine who was very superstitious, and that happens uh, when people don't know much about God. He grew up when he was a little boy, about seven or eight years old, going with his grandfather uh, to visit the priests in Buffalo. And at every priest's house, they had a couple more drinks. And when they were done, his grandfather was uh, inebriated. And he went home, and that was how he experienced church. And so, naturally, he didn't know much about God. And when people can't explain mysterious things, they become afraid. They fear what they can't explain. And this friend of mine, when he would hear about someone who was in trouble or hurt, he'd light a candle. He did that. You and I who know God would rather say a prayer, wouldn't we? Uh, because we know God is willing and able to help if we ask. Well, this friend of mine was a mechanic. And one day I walked into his shop and he said to me, I can't fix anything anymore. Can't fix anything. And I know why. Well, he was a wonderful mechanic. I said, well, why? He said, I got these two old copper coffee pots. And I brought them to work. And ever since those two old pots have been here, I can't fix anything. And he said, these two pots are haunted. Will you look at them? So I agreed. I looked at them and looked them all over. No writing on them or anything. They were just two old coffee pots, handmade. You could see that they were beaten uh, with a hammer and uh, soldered by hand. And so I said to him, they just look like two very old coffee pots to me. He said, well, I can't fix anything with those old coffee pots around here because they're haunted. 
So I said, would you like me to take them home? And then we'll see if you can fix anything when they're missing from here. He said, you can't take them home. He said, then your house would be haunted. I said, no, no, no. Now I said, I can handle that. I've got God on my side. So I'll take them home with me. So he agreed. And the next time I saw him, he said, it's back. I can fix anything. So he was happy. And I had two old coffee pots (laughs) at my house. Well, strange thing happened. A few months later, he died. And I did his funeral right here. And I went to see his only daughter. And I said to her, your father had these two old coffee pots. And I told her the story of how he said they were haunted and how they came to be at my house. And I said to her, now these two pots are really old. They're very, very old. They might be worth something as antiques. So I'm happy to return them to you as they might have value. And her response, you're not bringing them things to my house. Those are yours from now on. You keep them. Seems that she was also superstitious. People get that way because they fear mysterious things they can't see. And without God, they fear the unknown. And sometimes whole societies become superstitious the way they see things. Now we will meet such a person in our text today who is superstitious. And we try to take up right where we left off last week. Jesus was put on trial before the Jewish Supreme Court. That's the Sanhedrin. And somewhere around 3 a.m. on Friday morning of Passion Week, that trial started. It was a sham of a trial. With no attempt to discover truth, they only attempted to pervert the truth and encourage liars to testify. Finally, in an attempt to hurry the proceedings, Caiaphas, the high priest, took up the role of prosecutor, judge, and jury, and asked Jesus to answer a loaded question, Are you the Son of God? When Jesus answered yes, he screamed, tore open his clothes and said, Blasphemy! Blasphemy! He's a blasphemer! We have no need of further proof. He is worthy of death. And the council agreed and passed the verdict guilty of death. So they had a verdict which was really little more than an excuse to deliver him to the Roman governor for trial. Now, why did they want to do that? Because they could not use capital punishment. The Romans took away their rights to execute prisoners. So if Jesus was to die, it must be done by the Romans. But that made a new problem. If they took Jesus to Pilate and demanded Jesus be executed on a count of blasphemy... Pilate would never do that. One thing Pilate could care less about was blasphemy. 
being not being Jewish and especially not being in any way religious at all, someone claiming to be God, which is what the Jews said was blasphemy, was just a little crazy, that's all. <laughs> Certainly not punishable by death. So the Jews needed another charge. So let's see Pilate's reaction. Now remember, it's 7 o'clock on Friday morning. We're in John chapter number 18 now. John chapter 18. I begin reading at verse number 28 as Jesus goes on trial. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. It was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat Passover. Pilate then went unto them and said, What accusation bring you against this man? And they answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. And Pilate said to them, Take ye him, judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. So Pilate says, look, I'm not here for your trivial matters. Uh, you take them, judge them by your laws. So they know they have to pass Jesus off as a real troublemaker if Pilate is ever going to agree to even hear the case. Now I go over to Luke Luke 23, as we continue the story, Luke 23, and verse number 2. They begin to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation, forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ the king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. And said Pilate to the chief priest and to the people, I find no fault in this. Now Pilate's no dummy. No doubt he has heard about Jesus before this moment. After all, two or three weeks before this, he raised someone from the dead just outside of Jerusalem. And I'm sure Pilate heard that. And it's even likely that on Palm Sunday... When Jesus rode that donkey into Jerusalem amidst the cheering crowd, there's a good chance that Pilate watched that happen. He was probably at the Roman fortress Antonia, built just behind the temple, the only building built higher than the temple in Jerusalem. Looking down, he could see Jesus enter Jerusalem, go into the temple, and then quietly leave. There's no threat. And besides that, one look at Jesus tells Pilate everything. His face, you know, is swollen and bruised. Remember, they punched him and slapped him in the face before they brought him to Pilate. So he's swollen and bruised, standing with his hands tied behind him. Wearing no fancy clothes like the Pharisees and scribes wore. But instead he's dressed in the garb of a peasant. And Jesus stands there. And when the priests and scribes are shouting out charges against Jesus. 
Jesus stands quietly. Unlike most prisoners who protest and argue, Jesus never says one word. And Pilate can tell two things. First, he's no king. He's not a king. Secondly, they brought him here because they're jealous of him. And he says to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, as you say. But Pilate turns and says, I don't find any fault in this man. So they go on taking up a notch more violently. Uh, Luke 23, verse 5. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, from beginning to Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. As soon as he knew he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself was also at Jerusalem at the same time. First, Pilate said, You judge him with your law. I'm not going to do it. Second, Pilate says, there's nothing wrong with him. He's certainly not a king. I don't find any fault in him. Third, he says, if he's from Galilee, send him to Herod. Pilate is a very political animal. Politicians tend to shift responsibility very well. And so, go off to Herod. Herod is the same one who cut off John the Baptist's head for a girl to dance for him. He's a shallow man. He's a worldly man. Jesus won't even speak to Herod. So Herod, for a joke, sends Jesus back to Pilate wearing a special robe. It's the kind of robe that people wore who were running for office. So Jesus comes back to Pilate with a candidate's robe on. And Herod's joke is, look, king of the Jews must be running for office. So now Pilate will question Jesus. Now remember, Pilate's a Roman. Romans worshipped the stars. They worshipped Caesar. They worshipped the ocean. They worshipped the sun. Just about anything. They had no knowledge of God. My friends, to this day, there are people in this world who live a very narrow life. They may run a business. They may do a certain type of work. They may be politicians. Whatever it is they do, they do it to the exclusion of all else. Everything else has no value or meaning to them. They can be in their business and do their work and play their politics without any help from God. They don't need God. They do just fine without God. And they have no interest in the deeper questions of life. There are deep questions that need to be considered. Who are we? Where did we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? They don't think about life. 
Don't consider it for a minute. They just do whatever it is they do. It consumes their life. And they don't even need God. Pilate is one of those people. He is a politician. He has risen to quite a high level in the Roman Empire all by himself. He is the governor of Judea. Sent there by Caesar. It's a difficult post to get. And it's even a harder post to keep. As a politician and governor, he has two jobs that Caesar requires. Number one, collect taxes and turn them into Rome. And second, keep the peace so that the tax flow is undisturbed. But these Jews are hard to govern. They've had many governors come and go. They're often hot-headed, very prone to rebellion. The Pilate was severely tested by these Jews before he had Jesus in front of him. And so sometimes he acted harshly when he felt it was necessary. There's one group that the Bible speaks of, of rabble-rousers, that had caused Pilate real trouble. So he waited until they were in the temple, and he sent soldiers right into the temple, had them executed while they were making their sacrifices at the altar. The Bible says that the blood of these people mingled with the blood of their sacrifices. It's a bold move by Pilate. And it showed he's not afraid to act violently with troublemakers. And he has no feeling of guilt over executing people right at the altar in the temple. Simply because he has no use for God in his life. But now, this ungodly man is called upon to pass judgment on a man who claims to be the king of the Jews. So he will try to understand Jesus. I'm back in John chapter 18. As he questions Jesus, verse 33. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Say this of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Jesus says, Are you asking me this because you are interested in this? Or are you asking because that's just what you heard but you're really not interested. Jesus always tried to help a searching soul. And if Pilate wants to know, he will help him. Jesus will always try to lead people to the truth. So if Pilate's really interested, Jesus will help him. Verse 35. 
Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation, the chief priests, have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Jesus said, I have no army. It's not a kingdom like yours. I have power in another world. A pilot has no comprehension of any other world. He only comprehends his own political world. So he asks again, verse 37, Pilate therefore said to him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest I am a king. To this end I was born. For this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate said unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said unto them, I find no fault in him at all. Jesus said, I come to the world to bring truth into the world. And Pilate, who only deals with political matters, and in the world of politics, truth has no meaning. Truth can change any time to whatever is needed at the moment in a political world. We certainly see how little truth means in the political world where we live in. So when Jesus said, I come to bring truth, Pilate, who thinks truth is subjective, or whatever you want it to be, says, what is truth? The very political answer. He simply cannot comprehend absolute truth which would include what we consider to be right and wrong. So to Pilate, this kingdom of truth is nothing. It's nothing. So he goes on once again, and he says, I find no fault in him, so I'm going to release this prisoner as my act of kindness during your Passover celebrations. But the chief priests are ready. They've already guessed and outmaneuvered him politically. And they demand that a murderer and a robber named Barabbas be released. Barabbas was sort of a Robin Hood to the Jews. And he was supposed to be crucified that day on the middle cross. So Pilate will attempt once more to release Jesus. So he has him whipped. It's a very vicious thing. I could tell you how it goes, but just know this. When he comes out after being whipped, he's covered with blood all over. All over. He's also wearing a purple robe. That's a royalty colored robe that a king would wear. And he has a crown. Happens to be made of thorns. 
And Pilate was supposing that the blood all over Jesus would be enough to satisfy the crowd. John 19 and verse 5. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests therefore and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said, Take you him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. And when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again to the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Now Pilate is afraid. He has no idea of what it means to be the Son of God. But he begins to sense that Jesus may be a lot more than meets the eye as we're looking and listening to this. So he says to Jesus, where did you come from? And finally a question that tries to get to the truth. But remember, Jesus already said, my kingdom is not in this world. And Pilate couldn't grasp that. He couldn't understand it. And so, John 19, verse 10. And Pilate said unto him, Speak thou not unto me, knowest thou not that I have the power to crucify thee, and the power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except that were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee has the greater sin. Pilate agrees. It's the Jews who are so bound to crucify Jesus. It's their fault. It's not his fault that they hate Jesus so much. Verse 12, From thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh him a king speaketh against Caesar. There it is. There's the moment. The political twisting of Pilate's arm. Either you crucify him or we go to Caesar and complain. They'd done that over and over again. And now they're going to say, we'll do that again. So Pilate feels the political pressure. He's about to sit on what they called the judgment seat and give a verdict in the case. That's what they did. They sat on a chair, the judgment seat, and said, here's my, uh, my verdict. He's just about to sit there and suddenly a messenger comes in with an urgent message. I'm over in Matthew 27 in verse 19. And when he was set down on the judgment seat, 
His wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. Finally, something that is persuasive to Pilate. There's nothing more persuasive than a dream if you're a Roman. He's all superstition. No God, doesn't believe in no God, no saviors, has no knowledge. Therefore, naturally, he fears the mysterious, and a dream is mysterious. And then his wife has a dream and says, don't touch that man. I had a dream. Nothing could be more fearful than a dream. And just before he's going to pass out sentence comes that dream. So now, is he afraid of Caesar? Or afraid of the dream? Is he afraid of the Jews? And they're screaming voices? Or is he afraid of Jesus? He's left to one final statement. It's a very political one that he makes. And this time in his political maneuvering, he uses the Jewish laws against the Jews. Their own laws. And what we're about to look at comes from the book of Deuteronomy. Matthew 27, verse 24. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was made, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. And then... He released Barabbas unto them. When they had scored Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now Moses' law said this, that if you found a dead body laying in the field or wherever, you just came upon a dead body, in order to show that you were innocent, that you had nothing to do with it, first you would make a sacrifice. Sacrifice an animal. Second, you washed your hands over the sacrifice. Those who claimed innocence did the hand washing. The third thing in that little ceremony is that the priest would give an answer to the washing of your hands. And they said a prayer. It was a priest's job to say this prayer. Forgive 
Thy people Israel, O Lord, whom thou hast redeemed, and lay not innocent blood on thy people Israel. Three steps. Make a sacrifice. Wash your hands over the sacrifice. And then the priests say the prayer. Lay not innocent blood on thy people Israel. Pilate delivered Jesus to be crucified. And in so doing, he made a sacrifice. And then he washed his hands over the sacrifice to declare his innocence. Believe me, they knew all about washing hands. That was a very Jewish thing to do. And so the priests were supposed to say that prayer. But this is what they said, his blood be on us. And on our children. That's a chilling response. Jesus had said before. Hatred. If you let it grow. Will lead to murder. But the Jewish leaders. Hatred of Jesus. Came to a boil. And they blurted out their contempt of Jesus in an act of bitter violence. Instead of praying to the Redeemer, which was their step, they called for his death with those chilling words, his blood be on us and on our children. And in so doing, they sealed their own fate. Thirty years later, when their children were the leaders in Jerusalem. The Romans stormed the city, burned the temple to the ground, and right outside of the building where Pilate gave sentence, they crucified those Jews. And outside the city, they crucified more and more and more until it was said there was no more wood To make crosses. The temple was burned. Jerusalem was destroyed. His blood be on us. And on our children. Had its final violent end. Yet. In that prayer. That they refused to say. Lay not innocent blood on thy people Israel. Jesus, who was now the great high priest, as he laid down on his cross to be crucified, and as they nailed him there, it says they were nailing him, He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was both sacrifice and high priest. And he said the prayer that they refused to say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So Pilate, full of fears, couldn't understand it couldn't comprehend the spiritual nature of what was being said, caved to the Jews 
And he allowed Jesus to be crucified. The Jews twisted Pilate's arm and threatened violent responses. And he felt the whole thing is out of control. I can't control it. But not for Jesus. It wasn't out of control for him. He went willingly to the cross. And in all the trials of Jesus, first by the Jews, and by Herod, and by Pilate, though filled with injustice and evil, somehow in the end the will of God was accomplished. So we are not superstitious. We believe in God and know what may come. Come what may, Jesus will prevail. Next week, Jesus our Lord is crucified. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you did and for saying that prayer that delivered us. We thank you so much. And for giving of your own heart, your own life, we are speechless. And all we can say is that the best thing we can think is to give you our lives after you gave yours for us. So we want to do that. We want to give our lives to you. We want you to run them and you to lead us and guide us and provide for us all that we need. And we know it's true. We sang it this morning. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. So bless us as we believe in you. As we come to that moment where you are crucified on that cross. May it get in down deep inside of us. And drastically change who we are. Bless us in that way, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Closing, like you turn your hymn books, hymn number 566, standing as we sing, 566, what will you do with Jesus? Page 566.
don't know what to say, but thank you for the great sacrifice. We pray that our hearts would be willing and be open, not to try to evade you or get away from you, not to deny you, but to come to you. Our hearts may be willing to do what you have asked us to do. Help us not to be superstitious about things, but to know that we can trust in you deeply in our hearts. We thank you very much for caring for us, and we especially thank you for those words that it's hard for us to understand. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We thank you that you completed all those things in being a king and being a sacrifice and being the high priest. You have done all these things. May we give our lives to you. May we give our hearts to you, we pray, on this day. We ask for protection and help and watch, care over all of us. As we go from these places, bring us back together, connect us and be with us, we ask. We pray for your spirit to be with us throughout this week. We ask for all these things in your name.